Hello, this is the Long Leg Pod. I'm Dougie and that's Russ. Let's talk cricket. How's it going, Rusty? It's been, what, 48 hours since we spoke on the on the audio-visual device? Oh, mate, it's absolute podcast fest this week. All over. Didn't, didn't quite get into the, the long snapper last night, but, uh, you know... Needs must. Needs to have a podcasting break occasionally. but Well, occasionally, mate. Um, Cornwall's busiest podcaster. I've, maybe just Cornwall's busiest man. And not in a way <laughs> that and not in a way that is good busy. Just real niggly, naggingly busy. Right. That, that sounds great. Um, that's enough about us because basically anyone who's listening to this has listened to either Long Snapper or or uh, Maul Over anyway, so they know all about our week so far. <laughs> should we um, should we smash on with some cricket stuff? Let's do it. Let's um, let let's start with um, well, the best stuff. So Test cricket. Um, England had a bit of an up and down summer, really, didn't they? They um had some incredible performances and some not so incredible performances. Uh, well, yeah, you could say that. I mean, this summer is almost the epitome of the England test team over the last three or four years, isn't it? Where they are capable of some unbelievable performances, both individually and collectively, yet are also capable of some utter shit. And when I say utter shit, the the worst levels of test cricket, probably worse than most other teams in the world. And a few times we've been pulled right out of the, the mire by Joe Root and his individual brilliance. Um, there aren't many other individuals that can put their hand up and say that they have contributed to the levels that he has. Um, and when we have won test matches, it's usually because Joe Root has got a first in his hundred. Yeah, he's, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche now though, but he is our only real world-class player, isn't he? And he, he it, it's showing. Um, the thing I wanted to pick up on was there's a, there's a massive discrepancy I find between how England's top order are treated and how some of England's middle order are treated. Then if you've picked up like Johnny Bairstow, is on what life 50 or 60 and you consider how many England openers that bloke's seen off in the test side throughout his various failures and stupid dismissals and how many England openers have been sent packing after two or three tests. It makes you wonder what the decision-making process is really, because I feel like he's, afforded opportunities that others aren't. And I just want to know why he deserves that because I'm not seeing him as a test player anymore. I I have absolutely no idea. I remember going to Lords for the second test of the 2013 Ashes. Ian Bell's Ashes. It might have been the first test. Can't remember. Either way. England, uh, Ian Bell scored 100 that, that day. And Johnny Bairstow was out very early bowled by Peter Siddle um, off a no ball. And he went on to get 60 on that first innings. But it showed a very obvious weakness of gap between bat and pad and Johnny Bairstow basically getting castled at every opportunity. Um, So here we are eight years later. 
And Johnny Bairstow is still getting test match opportunities and still getting out in very much the same way, either LBW or bold. Um, and you know what annoys me more than anything? Above, ginger hair? No, it, it's the way when he gets out or when he's, let's, let's say when he is given out rather than when he oh, gets the, out. The Insta review. It's the Insta review, but it's that, it's that wide eyed, like, he's giving me out. I can't. And it's that, that look of shock. And you're like, Johnny, you've basically fucking middled it to the keeper or you're <laughs> so, you're so plum LBW that it would have taken out middle stump right in the middle. Yet you're reviewing it and you're looking as if to say, you're looking at your partner to say, no, give me something. No, Johnny, tuck your bat under your arm, turn around <laughs> and fuck off. And when you get to the dressing room, pack up all your kit, stick it in, <laughs> stick it in your coffin, right? Because I still imagine that all England cricketers have a big coffin in the dressing yeah, room. Yeah, re- a really unwieldy coffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, and take it straight out of the dressing room, put it straight in the boot of your discovery and disappear back to Yorkshire until it's time for, for some white ball cricket, if you don't mind. Because you've got no place in that team. I'm just like, there are so many better, there, there has to be better batsmen. Like, and you mentioned all of the openers, all of the openers that have been given barely a chance, all these guys that have churned out run after run after run after run in test in county cricket. I mean, although that doesn't give a jot of, of notice. The likes of Sam Robson, Adam Live, uh, Mark Stoneman, Gary Balance you know, all failed experiments, but all you could argue other than balance maybe weren't given a fair crack of the whip to come back once they've been dropped. And I know we've said this before, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, um, Joss Butler, although he hasn't, you know, he's still very much on the fence. Butler's another one that's just, just gets chance after chance after chance after chance. But they the, the axis of sort of Butler, Bearstow, um, uh, Broad Alley, um, you know the, the, those those guys that are getting the, the, the chance after chance. You know, it's that, just other than there. other than Broad, other than Broad, it's the um, it's the the white ball lads, the three format lads, and it's almost like that they play, they have. So much, um, they have so much talent in white ball cricket and they end up having a load of good performances in white ball cricket. And don't get me wrong, right? Moeen, right? I rate Moeen, but at times he is fucking brainless. Like his dismissal, (laughs) his dismissal in the first innings at the Oval, when we could have taken that, what ended up as a hundred run lead, could have been, well, 150, 200, whatever. At least would have put a bit of pressure on the Indians. But he he, he top edged that sweep shot off of Jadeja, and you just think like they were there was literally no danger in that partnership. Neither of them looked like getting out. And you know his his threatening off spin spells tend to come in the similar sort of regularity as Stuart Broad's miracle spells now, as opposed yeah. to being a being a half decent off spinner. 
Um, yeah. But I still, you know, he's probably still the best off spinner, off spinner we've got. But yeah, then you've, but then you've got Jack Leach, who they cart around the poor guy. They put, they cart him <laughs> around the country, right? Who, who was the, the guy test- in the 2005 tour that? Um, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt everything. We've just been joined by um, an old pal of mine from the 2013, no, 20. A bit later than that, Doug. I think it was 2016. 2016 T20 World Cup in India. That's right. Oliver Brett, who also has written a biography about um, planet Earth and, in fact, the galaxy's finest cricketer ever, Alistair Cook. Um, Ollie Brett, how are you doing? Um, welcome to uh, a massively undersubscribed cricket podcast, which is basically, <laughs> at the moment, pasting the England middle order for their countless yeah, chances. I, and um, I, I, I noticed that you were slagging off poor old Moe and Ali there, but I mean, I, I, I sort of, I know what you mean, because I remember taking my two boys to a test match at Lord's and we were trying to save a match against India, funnily enough. Um, I don't know when it was, five years ago. And it, it, I think it was literally the last ball before lunch. And somebody put in a short ball and he just top-edged a, a hook to fine leg. And he thought, last over before lunch when you're saving a test. It, it, it's, it's, it's just the basics, isn't it? Just, he's uh, such, a, such a talented player. I mean, when he's... Yeah playing the shots is all coming off. It's like David Gower, but I mean, it's, you know, although he bowled spin, which David Gower didn't do, which is one. <laughs> David Gower flew aeroplanes. Moen Ali can't do that. How do no, we, we know, know of. And <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my, I, I mean, in much the same way that I've seen Johnny Bairstow get out wafting outside off stump, I don't know, 3000 times. I think I've seen Moen Ali play a slog sweep in the first innings of a test match and be caught in the deep or a top edge to third match, you know, final leg or whatever. That seems to be his way of getting out. He never gets a Jaffa, does he, Moen Ali? It's always, it's always his own fault. Yeah. I don't think he's ever been bowled out in a, in a test match. He's always got himself out and Bairso is much like that. And what we were saying earlier was that how many England openers have the triumvirate of, Ali, Bairstow, and um, Butler. Butler seen off. How many? How many chances have they been given and afforded yeah. that England openers don't get? You you look at. I I think we've seen the back of um, Sibley now. I don't think he'll ever play another match for England. Funny, there was actually one point when he was looking to be this. I think he was the second most productive run scorer this year after Root, and not that long ago. But then, of course. You know, the axe has has to be wielded, doesn't it? But when we're batting so poorly, it's it's frustrating because I think I think Sibley mentally is very good, but he, he's um, the, the technique isn't you know isn't expansive enough, which I know is an odd thing to say about an opener in a way. But it, yeah, <laughs> you, you're right. You're right. Entirely right, in fact, because he he has shown some incredible sort of mental fortitude. Dom Sibley at times. I mean, there was a there was an innings in India where he scored eighty. I think he scored eighty one runs in a day, and then got out just before the close. I think Root may have even did he run him out. He was there all day anyway. It, it was it was a great innings, and he played some great innings in South Africa. But his inability to rotate 
the strike. And it's all very well having that mental fortitude, but if you can't, if you can't just drop it into the offside. And one thing I did know, like you watch the Hamid and Burns partnership when they were together for any period of time, at least there was a look to be proactive, that look to drop and rotate the look to drop and run here and there, even just a little dead bat into the offside. And that's where Dom Sibley, he just, he seemed a bit cumbersome, almost to the point of being lazy where he, he backed himself to just go, well, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to let it go and I'm going to let it go and I'm going to let it go until you bowl one on my legs and, or in and around in my hip. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to put you away. And at test match level, you yeah. know, they'll just and, dry him up. I mean, there is a scenario where, where you'd love to have a Dom Sibley in the side. And it's if, if you're in the last day and you're just, all you're trying to do is save a match and there are two sessions to go and, and yeah. you need to take eight wickets. You, you, would, you would have did, that man. Did, didn't, we have, didn't we have that against New Zealand? Twice. Yeah. No, he played against New Zealand, didn't he? Yeah, no, of course he did. Sorry. Um, yeah, we seem to be in that position awful lot. A lot, um, yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is, yeah, no, no, you're right. Against very good bow, I mean, a very good Test match bowler, it loves bowling at someone like Dom Sibley because they're not frightened of being dominated. That you know, the the boots never going to be on the other foot. It's always the bowler is always the aggressor, even if the guy's on sixty not out. It's taken him. He's soaked up God knows how much time. And, it, and when you look at his stats, there's a suggestion that you're, you're about to get him out. You know, it's not, it's not, it's nothing to be worried about when you're bowling at Dom Sibley. No, he's never going to take a game away from anyone, is he? But, yeah. I mean, to get back to what, what we're trying to say, that the the endless opportunities of these England middle-order players. Middle-order players, yeah. It, it just, well, it, it boggles my mind why Bairstow is like, ah, Bairstow's back in the side, you know, we've got a, we've got a really powerful middle-order and then we get rolled for 170 or, you know, <laughs> And then, and then on the one occasion where we actually get openers that put a performance in, who was it that I said is like um, a modern day Ian Bell during the last test? Gets probably runs Pope, when you don't need him. Ollie Pope, probably. Was it Ollie Pope? Maybe it was Ollie Pope. No, I don't think it was Ollie Pope. Sorry, my brain's gone. My brain's gone. <laughs> well, 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 well Ollie, Ollie Pope has been compared to, to Bell, in, you know, stylistically. I, I thought his technique was deeply flawed you know, when I've seen him in his first few tests, but I think he's improved in in some in some regards. Um, but you weren't thinking of him, you think of someone else. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. Um, I, I think the, uh, the problem is a lot of these players are coming through Surrey, aren't they, where they're effectively batting on the road in county yeah. championships, county do, championship do you, matches. And Do you think Surrey still, you know, there's... England selectors apparently have always looked at sort of Surrey and Yorkshire first. And, you know, since time immemorial, since the game has had players and gentlemen, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And certainly since the thirties that you'd have your sort of, um, you know, your Huttons and your Bedsers and your Edriches, you know, they're all coming through you know, Surrey and Yorkshire. And then everything else is just, well, okay, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pick the odd guy from North Ants you know, just to see what happens. I mean, yeah. it would be ludicrous if that is still the case, but I do think there is still that. I definitely think there is. I mean, you, you've only got to look look through the side. It's it's mainly Surrey, Yorkshire, a couple of Lancashire and maybe a Hampshire player thrown in there. 
and then a bit of Durham just for, to keep the, the extreme north happy so the White Walkers don't come down and get us. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you could say, okay. judging at some of the county scores this this week, that it's probably wise that they do that because <laughs> if you look at the players <laughs> that are playing for North Ants or... Um, yeah. Well, they're yeah, they're all on a plane to all the North Ants players are on a plane to IB for at lunchtime today, weren't they? <laughs> the short the shortest county championship match ever, I think I saw. Was it four sessions? Ninety six point four overs or something is the shortest county championship match on record. Yeah, it must That's be incredible. And um, and I, I, if it had been in midsummer, they might have been able to get an extra hour in last night. And finish it up all together in, in a day. I think. I mean, it was it was that. Yeah, if they weren't if they weren't playing county championship matches in October. Um, I, I'd like yeah. to see that lad. That lad who got half the wicket, Sam Cook, is is a very very good bowler. He's going to go far, I think. He was. Well, he's the, actually, uh, I, sorry, go on. I was, was going to say he's one of the few Essex players. I think, although I didn't really follow this very closely, one of the few Essex players who was. Allowed to play in the hundred, it joined one of the franchises that, of course, Essex wouldn't naturally be be in the hundred at all. But um, that that's that, that's clearly by the by because because what he is 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 clearly a you know a talented Red Bull cricketer. My apologies, my wife's iPad is um, doing things. <laughs> this, is one, this is one of the problems of me being called in a very impromptu scenario. Yeah, sorry, I should have done it earlier, but you know, um, the um, Essex are producing some really good bowlers. I mean, I've always advocated for Jamie Porter. I know that you don't think that that's uh, that's right, do you, Russ? It's not that I don't think it's right. It's if there's one thing that England has an abundance of is. 78 to 81 mile an hour line and light line and length bowlers. Now yeah. you could all, you could argue that Anderson and Broad have made a living out of that for the last 15 years. Um, but Anderson is special. Broad has had his moments and then we all know your feelings on Stuart Broad. Um, <laughs> now you've got the likes of Wokes and Overton and, you know, what has been largely demonstrated this summer and summers before is that when England have a little bit of pace or Archer, Wood, you know, that point of difference in an attack, they look eminently more dangerous. Um, when you pick four 80 mile an hour seamers, and then try and mix it up with a a left arm seamer who is perceived to have a little bit of a golden arm, but when that doesn't work, gets absolutely carted to all parts no, of the I'm ground. Not, yeah, but I've never I've never said that I want four of those players. I I think Jamie Porter is a perfect complement to a uh, Mark Wood. I don't I don't think he's certainly a. I would I would argue that over the last three or four years, he would have been a better answer and have got more more wickets consistently than Stuart Broad has. Oh, that's a big call. That is a big call. He, he, had, he had one season where he, his stats were incredible. I mean, I, it's one of those, you know, unless you're watching it, him, you know, a lot, and I can't say I have done. I mean, I've, you know, watched him on occasional streams and things like that. It, it's quite hard to evaluate, but... That there was a moment when you thought he's getting better and better and better, and then he had a pretty flat season, I think, maybe last year. Or I, possibly. well, it must I, have been the year before that because last year didn't really, happen. yeah, that's right. 
And it, but I think, yeah, so I think it was two seasons ago, he went, he, he was quite flat and, and Essex only won the championship because of, because of what Simon Harmer was doing. And, and the, you know, bowling extraordinary spells and taking eight wickets and in innings. And it, so I just thought that it was his moment to really make, make, make a case for international selection. And it, and it, and it just didn't quite happen. And that, that's happened in the past of players. Once people, you know, once they start being watched by the wider public, you know, maybe they feel the pressure a little bit. But they tend mm. to they tend to break down as well, don't they? Eng- England have got a habit of breaking fast bowlers. Look at Archer. Look at Wood. Look at. Um, it goes back to Alex Tudor. That Alex it's Tudor. Not a, that's not a new but, phenomenon, I mean, is it? No, abso- absolutely. But you know, like everybody thought at one point when Toby Rowland Jones. Remember when he came onto the sort of the scene four or five years ago? <laughs> didn't he, didn't he smash his back up and then yeah. basically didn't bowl again? Yeah, never, never bowled and never came back. Steve Finn, another one. Like other than uh, other than Broad and Anderson, like none of them are standing at the test. There was a bowler. There was a guy that used to play for Derbyshire. Left arm, real quick. Mark Footit, if you remember, just used to oh, take. Oh yeah, I do remember. Just, him, yeah. Used to take. Bear wickets in the county championship, <laughs> the, albeit division two. And he went to Surrey and he was a left arm quick. And everybody thought this guy could. And then Surrey broke him. He disappeared. Off oh, the hang he, played, he played for Nottinghamshire at some point, didn't he? You said Derbyshire. He was, at, he was at Derbyshire and then went to Surrey. I'm, I'm certain of it. He never played Have for a look. So, Yeah. On, on uh, Wikipedia, he's in his Derbyshire T20 kit, the quarters. Looks very nice. Played for, started at Nottinghamshire though. So you're both yeah. right. Yeah. Went not Starby. So he just straddled that. What's that road? A40 <laughs> something on it. Uh, then went to Surrey and then back to Notts and then back to Derbyshire. There you go. But yeah, he, um, I, yeah. I do remember him. I think he may have even been picked in an England squad. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I, he was 2015. There you go. 2015, part of the English cricket team in South Africa, but didn't play. Onion Graham Onions. There's another one. Like the the list is endless of Simon Jones. Yeah, of English seamers that have lots of promise and then become broken. I, I, I think I think that's a, that's a problem in world cricket. I mean, there are lots of West Indians who've who've had one incredible series and have got injured and. You never heard of them again. Um, yeah, I, I, I think unfortunately we don't. You see, we don't treat fast bowlers differently. Look, look, look what baseball does with pitchers. Okay, they play one game, then they're off for four matches, mm. and then they come back. And we have a squad of players: batsmen, slow bowlers, fast bowlers, who travel around and, and play. In every, you know, all the warm-ups, all the you know, all the test matches, all, all whatever that you know. They don't get treated separate as a separate type of player. And, and I think I think we should do that. I mean I I'm sure they're more likely to be rested, but they're not they're not categorized officially in a it, separate way. It's that high impact thing, isn't it? And you've only got to look, I mean, how how often when a fast bowler is bowling or Mark Wood is bowling a spell or Joffre, I mean you've only got to look back to that Ashes series two years ago where Joffre Archer was steaming in it, um, Steve Smith, and it was it was absolutely captivating. But then everyone was saying, you know, you've got to you've got to think about how you use Joffre Archer because you bowl somebody into the ground. And he was bowling six, yeah. seven, eight over spells at that pace. And it's only going to go one way. And it um, seems I, to I, be English I, captains. I think, yeah, I think Root was absolutely 
absolutely culpable of, of overvaluing him. And it was so obvious. And somebody should, somebody should have been brave enough to say to him in the middle of those spells, I mean, at a session interval, look, Joe, we, we all want to see Joffre roughing up the Aussies, but for Christ's sake, we, we're going to break him if, if this carries on. And that, yeah. that seems to have been exactly what's happened. Yeah, especially when you've got bowlers in that side that can do 10, 15 over spells. You know, yeah. it, it did seem it did seem a, a, a little bit ludicrous. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is to this England team. It just, it, it seems so unbalanced and, well, I don't know. Is it the worst? It's probably the worst England side since pre-2005, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I, I was actually at the Oval on the famous day that we plummeted to last in the rankings against New Zealand in, <laughs> in 99 and it was I, was I was with some some friends from my cricket club and we were just going there to watch a bit of cricket and get drunk so we didn't really sort of you know watch the actual cricket very closely but I do remember we started six wickets down and in those days once you got six wickets down you knew that there were people like Mullally and Tough <laughs> <laughs> like coming out in odd pads. Oh god, he <laughs> was <laughs> horrific. Wearing left-handed gloves, <coughs> batting right-handed. Uh, Alan Malali was a horrific batsman. And then, and then Chris Cairns played a magical innings that that afternoon. You know, people like Ronnie Irani were bowling at him, and and Ronnie, bless him, is a Test match bowler. I mean, what was going on there? Yeah. And, and and Chris Cairns who. Almost at death's door, wasn't it, a month ago? Yeah. You know, yeah. I know, yeah. I know luckily, he's covered, but he's, I think, paralysed, sadly. But he was a great... Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm digressing massively. I can't even remember what <laughs> But, of course, at the end of that day, England lost that match and were class, officially classified the worst team in international test cricket. Went below Zimbabwe and all that. And and it was at that moment that... that you know, or soon afterwards, that Duncan Fletcher and Nasser Hussein came in, and suddenly it all went uphill very, very rapidly. Thank goodness. Well, quite gradually, but it, but it did. You know, we did make make steady, steady progress up, up, up. But as you say, Dougie, we've now <laughs> we've now lost all that. We're, we're, we're yeah, back we seem to have gone back. We like as steady as the incline was. It seems the descent. But. We've got it's equally slow. It's like a slow death, isn't it? It's like yeah. a um, Rudy Kurtz and um, yeah, LBW Dismissal. decision. It's it's a little bit depressing because you can see it coming, and you can see you can see in Joe Root someone that, whose talent has maybe been taken for granted a little bit, and he's thrust into this position of being captain, which I don't think he's suited for at all. No, and um. It's, 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 maybe, it's bad times. It maybe, really is bad times. Maybe it's time for a right a Mike Briley, Mike Briley yeah, style well, captain. I've 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 said for a while, Russ, and you know this that I think Morgan has a place in the England Test team just based on his captaincy. I I just don't think that there's yeah. any doubt about that because he cannot be as bad as some of the, some of the middle order batsmen that we're putting out there at the moment. He just can't be. It's fascinating. You wonder if he, when the last time he faced a red ball was, or even if he does it in the nets ever. But I mean, it, well, he's it, also it, not going to do it because he's making stacks on stacks in the IPL and CPL and BPL and all the L's. But it, but he is. I mean, he's he's a. He, oh, his eye. I'm a bit worried about his actual batting in 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 you know for England now. I don't think his eyes are quite there. 
I know it sounds strange, but he is some, you know, a lot of batsmen we see seem to be able to carry on playing into their 30s, into their 40s, like Darren Stevens or whatever. But in Morgan's case, I, I don't think he's seeing the ball as well as he did eight, seven or eight years ago. And a lot oh. of his hook shots, uh, he, he's struggling. He's fighting with himself a bit. No, I, I think his days are numbered. I can I can see Morgan actually after this T Twenty World Cup. I can see him stepping aside, especially well, if they especially I mean, if they win it. Because if they win it, he'll have the fifty over and the T Twenty, and he'll walk off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah. and then just concentrate on making his money in the various. Yeah, well, and why wouldn't he? He's well well deserved. I mean, he yeah. set he set the the benchmark. He's he set the path for those. T20 and what and both the white ball sides and you know the the strength in depth and that's you know that's where all our strength and depth is is in white ball cricket and the problem we've got which is endemic across the you only have to look at county championship scores you you only have to look at the championship to to know when Darren Stevens at 45 years old is still getting 40 50 wickets a season to know that the quality in the county championship is not there so that this we we just had a long conversation about the England middle order, the England top order, the bowlers. In actual fact, like people, players are not bred within clubs to play red ball cricket, and I think that is that is the culture change that, that has happened over the last fifteen years. There, there's says, always been there's always been a saying that you know it's cyclical. So we'll be bad at white ball cricket, we're good at red ball cricket, and and the loop goes on and on and on but I, I think that loop may be breaking because the just the, the sheer financial implications mm. of white ball cricket for these players it makes no sense to concentrate on being a red ball cricketer just just financially you what you want to be and I know we're, we're basically we're talking about a trope here but why would you if you're a young county cricketer why would you want to traipse around playing four day cricket on the off chance you might get a the the problem is Doug a test call up when you when you can go and like it's like Tamal Mills said, isn't it? You know, why would I want to go and play county championship and bowl 40, 30 yeah. overs in a day when I can bowl get four. paid twice as much to go and bowl four in a Bangladeshi Premier uh, League? And know? and that's the point. Who's whose pinnacle is it anymore? With in twenty twenty one, right? We're we're forty years old, right? It's our pinnacle from 20, 25, 30 years ago. Like test cricket was the one. Mm. No matter what anybody says, test cricket is not the one anymore. It's right. it's it, the reason it's still as popular as it is, is because people like us are still very much invested in it. In f- even maybe for the next 20 years that could still be the case because our generation will still love test cricket, but slowly, but surely that interest will start to wane. And you've only got to look across all sports and, and like the attention people, the attention span of people, right. Isn't what it used to be. Like they can't, everybody wants things faster, quicker, stronger, whatever. That's this where is becoming a little bit old man shouts it, at cloud, well, isn't it? it? It is. It is a little bit, mate. It is a little bit, and I and I don't, you know, I don't mind. Like I like the other styles of cricket, but what I'm trying to say is the reason that Test cricket is seen as the pinnacle is seen as but a pinnacle by us. If you ask twenty year old, like if you did a, a study of 
20 to 25 year olds and asked what is the pinnacle of cricket in your opinion i would imagine they would say um t20 potentially yeah i mean i think the thing that's always surprised me about how test cricket can how popular test cricket continues to be in england and and i say in england because in most countries that play the game professionally that you know barely anyone turns up for a test match on a weekday say in New Zealand or in um, the Caribbean or whatever, you get, you get completely empty stadiums now. But let, let's say you, you pick a day to take your dad to or something. Say it's the, the third day of the Lord's Test in, you know, next summer. And you go there and England might play well, they might play badly, but then you come home and you don't know, and you haven't seen one team win the game. Now, you've got to be a bit of a purist to really get a lot mm-hmm. out of that. I mean, if, you, if you've grown up loving the game, that then fair enough. But, you don't, when you're trying to market the game to the masses, how do you get them to, to buy a ticket for something where they go home and there hasn't been a winner? And, 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 and it's impossible. And you can't even say, oh, well, actually, if you buy a ticket for day five, we'll get a winner because it might be a draw or the game might have finished the previous day and so on. So, you know, it, it's, 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 it's always, I've always thought that. Well, I've, always, I've, I've started to see it, uh, test cricket as almost being like a middle class darts. Where... Yeah, that 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 I quite like because it's sort of it, it starts except instead of sort of ridiculous fancy dress. And actually, you have the fancy dress as well. And yeah. it's just the choice of beverage is different. It's not, uh, yeah, I, I would. It, it's 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 verb Kiko. Yeah, I I would say that you know out of a full edge baston crowd, fifty percent of the people that are there, it's the only cricket they'll watch that year. Because it is essentially just a day on the lash, mm. you know, yeah. and and that's that's the problem. With, and actually, a lot of got, a lot really. of sports are being sustained. I mean, horse racing is is very very similar. If they if they didn't make people get very very drunk there, they wouldn't come back the next year because because they don't remember what horses have won, what races, or care particularly. It's about <laughs> this is this is a day in my diary to meet some mates. Hopefully it'll be nice weather and, and I'll definitely get pissed and I might win some money. Yeah. Or, or I might see England. And, and, and that, that is test cricket. I, I would approach, you know, as much as I love it, I would go to the test match now with maybe with that kind of attitude. Yeah. yeah no, I totally agree. And I'd probably be the same. So there we go. Apparently, we were going to talk about women's cricket. Or something. Yes, we are next. going to talk about women's cricket. Let's. Uh, that's a beautiful segue there. Um, I've I've basically covered well a lot of the women's sixteen point four, um, and most of the England women's proper cricket matches. Um, I'm, I had a, a, a my, sorry. I'm just being delivered some uh, fresh strawberries from my glamorous <laughs> assistant. Um, I think it's time we start criticising these these players for um, their, um, frankly, quite abysmal performances. Um, so if, I, if, I do, if I do this on Twitter, I get a somebody called Raf Nicholson retweets me and says, <laughs> lolling at this sort of dinosaur person thinking they understand women's cricket. And then... Yeah. Because she's, I don't know, she's a journalist who specialises in women's cricket, then lots of other people get the opportunity to laugh at me for being a duddery old idiot. But 
Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I, but they are pretty poor these days, considering they get you know a lot of funding. There was a time when you could rely on some decent batting performances when you had people like Charlotte Edwards and Claire Taylor and Sarah Taylor, you know, right in there. Well, one of them would, would usually go big. Nowadays, you've got no idea who's going to score any runs, and it's and their efforts are invariably sustained by pretty good bowling. I'd say the bowling's pretty good, the fielding's pretty good. The batting is dire. Uh, it, it, it absolutely is and uh, we had this conversation on whatsapp today um what i struggle with is they seem to and i saw it during the hundred i saw it and i see it in these um odis and t20 matches that i watch and they seem to think well let's just bring the boundary in by 20 yards um let's just bring the boundary in by 20 yards. And then what we'll do is we'll just expect them because the boundaries are in, they'll be able to clear them and it'll be the same as the men's game. And there'll be loads and loads of runs and that that'll be it. Everybody will watch them as cricket. That that's the thing without fundamentally realizing that in actual fact, it's an entirely different game. And what the problem is, is that, during the men's game, it's not always the big sixes and the and the lovely cover drives. It's sometimes the the ones and the twos to manipulate the field to enable that big shot to happen. And what it's, what is missing in the women's game is any sort of ability to rotate the strike to keep the scoreboard to keep the scoreboard moving to earn a right to be able to play a big shot. And then they try like. Dougie, you said in 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 what's up earlier. Any captain in a women's field in a women's cricket game, you set every single fielder in on the edge of the thirty meter circle, and say, "Well, hit it over us." Go on, then. Just hit it. Just yeah. hit it over. In my, from my perspective, you see a lot of tech, technically gifted cricketers, cricketers who can play a cover drive that looks like it's been drawn in a in a manual. Yes. The problem is. They hit those cover drives straight to cover. Yeah. Right. Cover drives go to cover. They put a fielder at cover and eight out of 10 of them hit cover. One out of 10 of them is clothed and then one may get through. My, my, I mean, it's not quite as bad as that, is it? I mean, I mean, I, you know, I I have seen some innings from Tammy Beaumont where she she gets into a bit of a rhythm and pierces the, the field a little bit. But it's, it's, I don't, you know, I, I think it's more, I think it's shot selection is all over the place. And there's a lot of... Reverse sweeps, ramp there's lot, shots. Yeah, there's a lot of cross-back. There was, a, there was a, a player called Lydia Greenway who was a very effective sweep. And they all, at one point, just went in ashes. And then they all started sort of copying that technique because it's perceived as easy for them to get power. But... But you know, this series going on at the moment, they've barely ever had to put a long off or a long on it because nobody can hit straight over the top. Yeah. It, and I don't know why that is. I think it's an aversion to risk, personally. I think that they're overcoached and a, 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 a risk averse. I think there's a lot of... Um, how, how can I put it? There's a lot of... Um, not wanting to appear no i i think there's a lot of not wanting to appear foolish Mm. trying to play a big shot 
and hitting the splice and getting out rather than saying, well, that's going to happen every now and again. But because there are players that can clear the ropes. You saw that last night. New Zealand, New Zealand needed 50 off something like 25 overs and took 20 overs to get there um, mm. and lost six wickets in the process. Um, and then Tahuhu came in and smashed three fours and a six off yeah. 20 balls. You know, it's like it can be done. I well, don't she, know why it is. To, she seems to be one of the, the best batsmen in either team, but she bats at number 10. I, I can't work that out. Well, the England, the England order was a mystery. They had um, a debutant coming in at six who looked like a walking wicket from the minute she came in. I must have said it to the guys that were working next to me three or four times. Then we had you had um, Catherine Brunt coming in at seven, who bats four for her 16.4 team. Then you had Tash Farrant, um, number 11, who was batting at five for a 16.4 team. It, it's like just all yeah. over the place, but but none of them outside of when you get past Beaumont, what uh, Danny Wyatt batting at, at six or six or seven, I can't remember which it could possibly for her, but she has she has struggled a lot in ODIs over the years if she's bats high up the order. So, I guess the, the, the larger point I was trying to make is that they seem immune from criticism because none of the none of the pundits or broadcasters or anyone want to actually press these players into a bit of accountability. It's like, mm. it seems to be the narrative is, oh, isn't it great that they're on telly? Not, I know it's, it's, well, which they're is on actually... telly, but, but they're, they're embarrassingly bad. Like, can we, can we pull them up on the fact that for five ODIs in a row, they haven't scored above 180? And in a way, it's quite condescending that the commentators are not prepared to be honest about it, isn't it? Because it's kind of, belittling them as, as yeah. you know, and, and I think a rocket up their asses might actually produce some results. I mean, if, you know, if, 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 say, Butch or Nasser or something, you know, went on air and said, look, I'm sorry, that was an absolute shambles. Those women are, you know, professionals now and they're not delivering what, what they're capable of. Then they might think, sod you, Nasser, sod you, Butch, I'm going to come yeah. in and score a, a 50 at a run of ball tomorrow. Yeah, you give them a reason to perform. But it's not going to happen because Alex Hartley and Emily Rainford-Brent and Isha Gua and whoever else, it's all very, very matey and it's all supposed to be very, very positive. It's all very, oh, like you say, Doug, you know, isn't it brilliant? These these ladies, these women are really, really pushing the boundaries of, of women's sport. No, they're not. What they're doing is that they have, they've got a platform and they're making people not want to watch it because I, I I do think there's an element of of a lot of them coasting because they're they are comfortably the best players in the country. There's no pressure on them. There might be the odd like um, oh, who's the um, middle order girl who comes in can give it a bit of biff. Siva. Um, no. Oh, um, Amy Jones or the Amy. Um... Oh God! What's her name? What? What is specialist batter? Sophia yeah. Dunkley. Dunkley, that's the one. Oh, she's quite young, though, isn't she? So, yeah, but but she's come. She she forced her way into a team that, yeah. again, as with most England setups, seems to be quite clicky. There's the the sort of Siver Brunt. Yeah, um, married. <laughs> cap. Who's the captain? 
Knight, Knight, Beaumont, Beaumont Winfield they, they, Hill. Why? Yeah, they're they're all a little bit sort of entrenched and got their feet under the table. Shrub and it doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be a lot. Has anyone has anyone ever been dropped from the England women's cricket team? Because I think what normally happens. Danny Wyatt was, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite unusual because what normally happens is one of them that says, oh, they've got to earn some money or they, they're going to have a rest or something. And then you quietly don't see them ever again. Uh, but you never actually, no one ever writes a headline. Like, no. So-and-so dropped from England's women team because it's no. never it's never presented that way. And, and I suppose... It's, it's way yeah. of, and I suppose yeah. one of the positive, if anything positive to come out of the 100 was the women, the women's 100, I thought, gave exposure to a lot more women that maybe created a bit more of a pool of available talent to put yep. some of the pressure onto these. Women. And and as a, as a coach, I mean, so I coach my, my daughter is a 12, she's 12 years old and she loves cricket and she played for Cornwall under 13s this year. And I've coached girls from the age of seven, all the like to now 12, 13 years of age. And I make a real point of of saying to the girls, and a lot of them are quite reticent to play with the same age group boys because they think, oh, I'm not as strong, I'm not as good, I'm not as great. And and the girls are every bit as good as they are, but yeah. they but the the mentality, the the difference in mentality and approach is astronomic. And they have been coached in exactly the same way because I've done the coaching. So that I've done it. I've coached the boys and the girls in exactly the same way. And just imagine you ramping the bowling machine up to seventy-five miles an well, hour at twelve-year-old like, girls. So <laughs> I've I've had the I've had a bowling machine on it, Erin, and I will crank it up because I want. Like, and they're only the bowl. The bowling machine is like hockey balls, but softer hockey balls. And you fire it in on a length, right? Defend, defend, defend. Just, just. But the coaching is the same. But the mindset of the diff, the mindset difference between the girls and the boys is different and i don't know how how that can ever change because i've having been involved in it and and i've watched these these same children from 6 and 7 years old that are now 12 and 13 years old just approach it in an entirely different way always and, and the girls are getting there and that's the sort of opinion that if you if you produce that opinion people are going to say it's very controversial to say such well, things you, you, you've got first-hand knowledge of it, so. yeah and and i and i feel like you know speaking from a position experience and, I, and i'll continue coaching and i've coached this summer in our club we started we set up a women's softball team for the first first time ever some mums of the the juniors some people that were not even involved in, in cricket at all and we had weeks where we had 20, 25 women turning up on a Monday night to, to come and dream a softball. And, but as soon as, and there were some really talented women there, bowling, batting, like whacking the ball to all parts, but, you know, not technically amazing, but hand-eye and, and ball, but bowling as well, proper bowling with a little bit of pace with a soft stroke, hard pink ball. And, but the second any of the sort of uh, fun six-a-side softball festivals were mentioned that they were running for women's cricket throughout the summer. Everybody kind of disappeared from 25 people a week. You know, we had 25 people at training, but mm. we couldn't get six 
to commit to a softball festival, as in to go and play a couple of fun, friendly matches. And that's where I think, you know, a mindset type of thing kicks in because there were some that were really keen. It might be that. It might have, did they have holiday commitments? I don't know. I mean, trying to play devil's advocate here or, or, may, or maybe it's more a sort of family you know maybe mum and dad think yeah cricket is is fun but you know let's not do it competitively because that's for, that's for boys that's a boys thing when you know when you take it serious so what you know at what point the negativity comes in it's maybe it's hard to say I mean I, I my experience I mean I don't really know much about grassroots cricket for girls or women I, I do know that my, I mean, my son is an active club cricketer. They don't have any girls on their books. I don't think they ever have done. I don't, I don't think it's ever been close to girls, but there's no girls team there. And I know very occasionally he'll play a t- team that has one girl on it or yeah. something, which, which I think has been going on for quite a long time now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know how at all. And- I, I really get the I get the role model type thing. I get the see it, believe it, achieve it type stuff. And I yeah. and I'm I'm really behind that for you know for my daughter's sake, like from a selfish point of view, for my daughter's sake. And she watched some of the hundred matches and because it was on the BBC. And you know, I've got mm. Sky and stuff, humble brag. But like she wouldn't sit with me and watch a men's T20. She's never sat with me and watched a test match or, you know, whatever. Yeah, but right. when the, when, if there was a women's match on, on the television, she would, she would come and watch it. And she would like almost encourage watching a bit. And for her to see a potential pathway, I think is really important. And mm. I think if, if anything, you know, that development might shake things up a bit for the current um, incumbents to say, actually, we can't rest on our laurels because we have to keep improving. And maybe this is the start of it starting to improve a little bit as a, as a product, because ultimately, at some point, investors, the money people, and whilst it's fashionable, and, and I'm using that term loosely, to invest in women's sport and say oh we've got to have equality we've got to have this you know everybody's got to be given opportunities sooner or later it's going to get to a point and it will only take one sport to go you know what we're not making any money out of this like why why are we plowing so much money into this but we're not getting anything back it's it's a bit like like when a startup's launched and everyone gets very excited about the concept and they easily get their first, second, third round of funding and then suddenly the fourth round comes up and they say, "Hang on, you're not getting anything back on the first five million we've invested yet." Absolutely, Doug. You made a point on Mall Over maybe a little bit. I'm sure it was you around companies like um, like Kazoo and Cinch and those the companies that will come and buy your car or you can buy a car online, brand new car or a second hand car, and startup companies that appear out of nowhere big bang sponsor everything and then within three four five years they're they're gone disappeared and like oh what happened to them and it feels well but it it feels a bit like that because i mean you look sky they they had a, a the women's um football league super sunday the other the other week while the 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 internationals were on and you know that those let that level of broadcast will have cost Sky a, a pretty 
pretty penny to to put on. Um, will they will see a return on that? Will people subscribe to Sky to watch women's football? The answer is no. But they will do it whilst it's seen to be the right thing to do. Once once this current wave of encouragement in equality and accessibility is is kind of over which it will sooner or later it will start to dip those pit the, these companies will be out quicker than you can you could say wrap a drain yeah, pipe yeah, they just will be gone. Very, it's a very good point that it's not like a, a, an infinite stream of, of generosity you know at some point you know the hard numbers kick in and you realize hang on a minute so so it's up to but the but the wider point of that is it's it's up to the balls in their court right and they 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 have an opportunity to produce a really marketable product, and they have a they have an opportunity to progress it. They have an opportunity to to move it forward and to make it entertaining and to you know draw people in and produce the next generation of you know well, no, I didn't entertainers understand. and stuff. But I mean, what I didn't understand was why the tournament that Dougie seems to refer to as the sixteen point four. What, what, <laughs> but by that, what it wasn't simply a women's tournament. Well, I completely, I completely agree. And then the men carry on with the the blast or the twenty twenty cup, whatever you want to call it. And they have you have two slightly different products. What one is marketed directly for the women and at women and families, and the other is is the sort of more mature audience who know a bit about cricket and get pissed and and you know know who the players are and so on. And it, I think it would be much less complex as a thing than to, than to have these these two matches going back to back. Well, and also that, that would have demanded quite a lot out of the spectators to actually sit through two full games of cricket. Yeah. And, and what it would have done would have stopped this bullshit reasoning that the ECB gave about drawing new people into cricket. Because mm. I don't, I still don't get it. And they'll... They'll undoubtedly produce participate um, viewing figures and attendance figures for matches that probably would have been attended anyway because they were in the school holidays during the day, and there would have been kids and families and what they wouldn't have said on the attendance figures about the tens of thousands of tickets they gave away to clubs mm. and stuff like that. But there'll be bums on seats. Oh, all these people came to watch. Well, you gave them tickets, like. The blast should have been left as the blast, and that should be the that should have been the T two A. If you're going to create a new tournament and you want to draw people in, like you say, women, if they'd left it to women's cricket and said, right, here we go, brand new product. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to draw women and girls and children into into cricket, and then we're going to expand it that way. I think it would have been a brilliant marketing campaign, but as it was, you know, it just kind of alienated. It seemed to alienate what you would. To term traditional cricket fans, it it just, it just sort of confused what you know. What was the message? You know, what is it about cricket as a whole, or is it about you know? Yes, we're really trying to support the women's game, but of course the men are the main show, and they get you know they get the late night prime time slot. You know, so that was pretty obviously not quite right. I think they should have at very least swapped that around. So occasionally the women were on the primetime slot and even... Even, occasion, even occasionally. Yeah, I, even I once or twice. I, I do agree with that. I think that was um, a mistake. I think the biggest mistake, as I've mentioned a couple of times to Russ, is um, if they were going to do this tournament, it should have been a mixed gender tournament. Oh, well, I, 
funnily enough, I, I like mixed gender sport. I really like the, um, there was a thing at the Olympics at a mixed team triathlon. Yeah. So I was, was on at a reasonable time of night, about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And, and I read, and of course, we won the gold. But it was brilliant how it worked. It was really clever. But well, uh, there was a swimming relay yeah. that was mixed as yeah. well. And the, the yeah. tactics yeah. in it, where you had that mm. that geezer, the, the the new Michael Phelps or whatever, swinging swim the last leg and chasing down that British girl. And yeah. you like, and you're thinking, well, are you gonna are you gonna send are you gonna send your fast man out first and then have the women in the middle and and because it was well, a medley as well, that's it was exactly it. it. I'd have liked to have seen that in cricket. Get Sophie yeah. Eccleston bowling at um, you know Liam Livingston, um, Liam Livingston, and then get and then get uh, Tim Al Mills bowling at Tammy Beaumont. I don't know why I'm laughing, but I think that that's the product I would have watched. Did you think you have to invent a whole new sort of issue of, of protective equipment for that sort of encounter? Or, I don't know. <laughs> just... Imagine, imagine what's her name? Is it, is it, Ver, is it Shafili Verma? 30 mile an hour. I what with the, the 34 mile 30, an hour 34 moon ball. And then you bowl at bowling at Joss Butler, who is then just basically taking three steps down the pitch, meeting it on the full no, and, send, and sending it to Salford. Didn't Brian Lara famously get dismissed for a duck by a, a good lady mm. club cricketer at a place in, in Lancashire or something? Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> but yeah, he didn't want to get out. I mean, he, he, she, she just swung one away a little bit on a green top and he <laughs> can you imagine if that was on video somewhere that would be spectacular yeah but, but with all the talk of of equality and, and all that sort of stuff then why why is it such a bad idea if someone could tell me specifically why it was such a bad idea for fully grown men to play cricket against fully grown women with well, protective equipment it's because cricket is still, to some extent, a power sport, isn't it? So, so in, in the sense that the relays work because you're not going, you're not clashing, you're not, you're not, you know, physically. I don't know, you know what I mean. You're, you're just going one after the other on your own team. I mean, they've got, they've got, the they've got the speed gun, so you could say, well, okay, you're not allowed to bowl ninety plus miles an hour. At the Otherwise women. it's a no ball. Yeah. Otherwise it's a no ball. I, I, I could get a bit. I think, in much the same way that you improve as a sportsman by playing against better opposition, I think it would have potentially improved a lot of the England cricketers, England women's cricketers. Do you remember? To play against substantially did, better bowling. Was it Sarah Taylor? Did she play? Sarah second Taylor played 11 um, cricket. Okay. Did she yeah, play second, second 11, 11 cricket? cricket first? Didn't she play for Sussex too? Yeah. So, and again, like that sort of, <clears throat> that sort of thing. If the, if these women are professional cricketers, like, and, and I figure it out. It's so, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like I'm being like, I'm being really harsh and, and sexist or chauvinistic, but these women are, they are professional you cricketers. Got, I, I, I know what you're thinking, but you, you have to, you, this is why there's um this 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 is what my original point is. You feel sexist and chauvinistic for criticizing women's sport when in actual fact you're criticizing it. I'm criticizing women's cricket because I've watched a lot of it this summer and I'd like it to be good so that there's more of it, so I work more. 
but the fact is it's not and nobody criticizes it and if nobody's criticizing it and they're just being told you're brilliant you're brilliant you're boundary breakers you're this you're that where's the motivation it's a, it's a self-perpetuating morass of of, of not uh, failure but but of, of non progression it just promotes mediocrity and it'll meander along and it'll meander along before like i say before this crest of an inclusive wave disappears and all the funding and the the tv dries up because the 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 likes of sky or bt or bbc or whoever's paying the money to commission it goes no one's watching this yeah and and ultimately and ultimately that will be the the bare bones decision won't it i mean mm. you know you're you're a tv man Doug. you know better than i do but it'll be down to the money men are people watching it yes or no not enough people are watching it, it we'll it, find it, something I mean, else it, as it stands it's basically a ticking time bomb isn't it because you know it, as you say it's, it's been propped up by the broadcasters in much the same way that women's rugby was propped up by sky for a long time and then sky pulled out and now it doesn't have a broadcast partner is there, no, there is BT Sport not showing any women's rugby. Right. Not no, not the Premier 15s. It's all it's online. They've got some sort of online. Right. It's all being streamed by a company that does it for shirt buttons and Tic Tacs. Yeah. And so. ITV, ITV making a big thing about showing women's football. Where is it? It's on ITV4, isn't it? Mm. It's not. There's, there's oh, ITV committed to showing women's football. Yeah, but you're showing it on ITV4. Yes, it's mm. free, but if you were really committed to it, why isn't it on ITV? That, so, that's the so, point. So, so here's the thing. Will a, a female cricketer ever be as marketable an asset as Emma Raducanu? Answer, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please, please prove me wrong, you know. Please do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at its core... And Adam, the other guy that usually does this with us, um, well, he, he's he's not here today, but he he was saying that good cricket doesn't have to be ninety mile an hour bowling, but that's what market what that's what's marketable, and people hitting sixes over stands is marketable. Um, there yeah, wasn't a ball bowled yesterday quicker than sixty eight miles an hour. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's, which it's, is Mark Elam pace. It's the extremes is what you want in, in all sports. Uh, you know, I think the little, the little moments that make those viral clips of, you know. Yeah. Clips. I think Which you get people Sarah through Taylor the door was. with that. Sarah Taylor was incredible because she yeah. did those things. Mm. You know, Magic she, catches. And, I, mean, I still yeah. maintain she was probably better than 99% of some of the male wicket keepers I've seen. She's yeah. a better wicket keeper than Johnny Bairstow. Yeah. But you get you get people through the door with those big moments, the sixes. The the minute then you can appreciate again the ability to manipulate a field, the ability to to make yourself be able to hit. You can hit that big shot because the danger is has been removed because you've moved the fielder that was out there that they've had to plug a gap somewhere else for that very reason. So all of a sudden the risk in that shot dissipates. But you know that that's love of cricket. That's years of sort of learning. But you know you you can appreciate that sort of stuff as you're going along with a sprinkling of big sixes and people getting hit on the head by bouncers. 
Agreed. Let's move on because we, we are meandering a bit. And the, the last thing we wanted to touch on was England's um, decision to not go to Pakistan. Now, I, I know personally people that were in Pakistan for the event that um, that caused cricket to stop being played in Pakistan. There's several cameramen I know that were on a bus and in the ground when the attack on the Sri Lankan team, is that right? Yeah, in 2009. Yeah, I think. And I tell you, as much as I think the decision is harsh, and I do think it's harsh, I wouldn't be in a rush. If I was an England cricket, I wouldn't be in a rush to go to Pakistan. The, the difficulty was, was when the, the High Commissioner came on on TV and said he's really disappointed because everything's safe. It was safe enough for a royal visit. And he, he's, he's really disappointed because it, it's, there's nothing for them to be worried about. Now, yes, I, I, mean, I do take the point that that, um, that part of the world is... is is far from from secure overall that the Taliban are in power in neighboring Af- Afghanistan, which I'm sure is one of the big factors here, which is, you know, it's a bit of an elephant in the room, perhaps because no one's saying that directly. But the ECB statement was a bit of a mess because it talked about burnout from being in bubbles and things, which I thought was was, was a misstep. So, so that's how I look at it. I, I, yeah. Well, I, I was going to refer to that High Commission sort of statement as well from the embassy that said, you know, they've advised the ECB that it was all perfectly safe. They could have mitigated, they could mitigate all the risk. Um, and, you know, like they, they went to Sri Lanka earlier this year. They went to India. They, you know, people forget about them coming home early from South Africa because of COVID concerns. Um, that statement from the ECB was nothing more than about like you say, player welfare, living in bubbles, um, mental well-being, all of that stuff. And I think once once New Zealand pulled out, it was really easy for them to make that decision. Really easy. And I think it was a bit, I say, cowardly to a certain extent. Like If you're signing up to this sort of stuff, no matter how far in advance it is, you're committing to to travel to that country and barring, you know, barring some major catastrophes and a, and a pandemic that we've been going through, they should have, they should have honored that commitment. And, and I think it sets a really dangerous precedent moving forward that like the whole, the whole bubble thing or the whole restricted living thing. What did they think they were going to do in Pakistan anyway? Like if the, even if they went to Pakistan in normal circumstances, they would be living in a bubble-like environment, like that restricted yeah, it's, it's environment. Not, it's not the sort of place where, where you go out for, for, uh, for a long drive into the country and have a meal out. Uh, abso- absolutely, absolutely, the same, almost the same with India to a certain extent, and maybe even Sri Lanka. But like Pakistan, they would have been cooped up in the hotel anyway. Yeah. And then saying, "Oh, it's not the best preparation for the for the T Twenty World Cup or whatever," they just farmed out as many excuses as possible because they just didn't want to go. 
didn't yeah. quite fancy it enough. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid that's that's pretty much it. But but but, but Dougie, you 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 think you still think it's the right reason, the right? Well, I wouldn't go. I I I I just wouldn't go if I was one of the players. I I'd I'd pull out of the tour. I just don't. I I don't think it's worth the potential risks. I also. Well, how, how do you define what those risks are? Do we know what those risks are? I mean, are, are there terrorist groups circulating in these cities? I don't know. Are there? Well, I, I mean, I can't speak to the, the relative um, dangers of each city, but I know that as an Englishman, I wouldn't want to be cruising around Pakistan at the moment, regardless of whether or not you're getting police escorts Everywhere well, was, and roads are shut, and you know. Funnily enough, it, it, I think it must have been in the wake of the Twin Towers strike in two thousand and one. I'm pretty sure England pulled out of a tour to Pakistan not long after that. It's probably been forgotten in the annals of time, but I'm fairly sure because I remember in those days I worked at the BBC and I interviewed Craig White, and I and I got a quote I'll never forget off him. He said, "It's a bit close to where it's all going off." He, he didn't. He didn't want to go there, but that, but that was his way of sort of, you know, summing it all up. A bit close to where it's all going off, because you know, it, yeah. you, you do look at maps and you think, well, this is happening here, and golly, I'm, you know, over the band, over the border, and I'm in this country. Um, you know, it's bad. Terrible things have happened in Pakistan over the last twenty years. You know, yeah. it, it's not, it's, I I don't know why it couldn't have been moved to like Qatar or. Dubai or something because like because the whole because the whole point of it was to go back to pa- the whole big thing about going back to Pakistan, which then makes you think why why sign up if you if you're going to pull out this close to the end why sign up there in the first place if you're not really that keen on it why sign up to be one of the first teams back no well, you know what they should Pakistan? have done, done maybe they should have done it the other way around and said, and said actually what we'll do is we'll sign up to a tour of Dubai. But if at the last minute, you know, things yeah. are looking looking quite positive in Pakistan, then why don't we play in Royal Pindian Karachi in face of that? Absolutely, because also the there undoubtedly would have been some communications, obviously with what's gone on with the Taliban in Afghanistan over the last month or so, and them taking back control. You know, that that handover, the security services that were planning this trip to Pakistan would have been well aware of what the plans were with Afghanistan. And, oh, oh, we didn't think it would have happened so quickly that the Taliban would have, would have seized control of, of, of Afghanistan. But if, if they had handed it all back and the military were pulling out, that would have been well on the, the organizers radar because they would have had all of these security briefings well in advance. Mm. So it just says to me that, they, as I say, they they didn't really fancy it in the first place. They signed up to it because Pakistan came over here last summer, when you know nobody else really wanted to in the middle of the in the middle of the pandemic, and they felt like they had to at the time. And as soon as New Zealand pulled out, that mm. gave them the green light because if New Zealand had gone, they would have had to go. I, I think yeah, and, and New Zealand have traditionally been the most one of the most wary nations when it comes to really risk averse. 
Absolutely. Well, well, they're incredibly risk adverse to COVID. Is it when they have one case in Auckland, the whole country shuts down for a month or something? Yeah. They don't like anything that that sort of yeah, is any sort of risk to 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 any part of normal life. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a. It's, I mean, I can understand Ramis Raj's absolute fury about about the whole thing because it, it, it's seriously important to the the growth of the game in in his country that, that, that they do start holding meaningful series. They're not going to host India for, for another 30 years or whatever. I mean, they do need a team like England over there. Yeah. And you think about how long they've been actually been out of Pakistan and all of the things that have happened, you know, with Amir and Asif and Salman, but even going back that far, you know, <laughs> like all of the things that have happened in Pakistani cricket and you know the 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 victories over here. I remember watching. I, I went to the Oval in 2015, 16, and sat there and basically watched Eunice Khan bat all day. In one of you know what I was again going to the Love yeah. Test cricket and watched yeah. Eunice Khan smash Steve Finn and Chris Wokes about all day on an absolute road. And you know they've had so many, many people have smashed Chris Wokes about on a road, Russ. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, and they've got so many talented cricketers in Pakistan. It just makes you wonder where the next ones are are coming from when they they can't play in their home country. Yeah. Um, should we should we wind it up there, Ollie? You got anything else cricketing wise you want to talk about? Um. Well, if you, if you, if no one's bought my book yet, you know, go and have, look for it on, on Amazon. No, but uh, seriously, actually, let's talk about um, Afghanistan itself, because as a cricketing nation, because uh, their women's team are now no longer going to to feature in, in the next Women's World Cup. I don't think. Is and, that a fact? Well, I, I mean, it it, it isn't, is it? But it, but it's it's looking a bit dicey at the moment. And, and, and the men's team is, is clearly going to be under pressure, I would have thought. It, things aren't going to be so straightforward. Um, uh, Rashid Khan, I think, has, stopped, has fallen out with, with the management there. And yeah, he, he resigned as captain for the yeah. second so, time. So, so everyone was looking, you know, about 10 years ago that Afghanistan was going to be the next great breakout nation and, and that they'd come through adversity and managed to establish themselves among the elite nations. But but it, it, wouldn't it be sad if that if that great story never actually happened? No. So sorry, sorry to end on a depressing note, but I mean, <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, it was um, because they they're an official test nation now as well, aren't they? Like Ireland, yeah, yeah, uh, and they've earned that. You know, they've earned it by, by playing jolly damn well. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Um, my <laughs> my glamorous assistant is uh, apparently drilling in the front room. Like um, it. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's a tragedy. Really, they've they've got some fantastic players, and the fact that they're that's you know, like you say, that's pretty much it. Unless they play as a team in exile, but then where do you develop new players? Maybe the Taliban will surprise us and become huge advocates of cricket. Well, I've, I've heard they've had some good ideas in the past. Yeah. Well, well, well it's <laughs> is, it, is it just the way they've executed them? <laughs> oh, interesting use of that word. Um, 
yeah, in the context, but but you know Mugabe, who was an equally controversial. <laughs> 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 He, he famously was, was right behind that day. <coughs> Chairman of the Zimbabwe Cricket Board. Oh, so, my word. Yeah. Oh, so this has all... taken a turn, isn't it? We're now talking about the <laughs> Taliban and Gavavi. Do we have any other historic uh, dictators we'll, and we'll uh, now be talking about maniacs that, uh, that were into Idi their Idi cricket? <laughs> well, I was just about to say, do we know about the Ugandan cricket team? Uh, Idi, Ar- Idi Armin was a rugby man, wasn't he? He was a football man, wasn't he? And a rugby man. Yeah. Last king, of Sc- last king of Scotland and all that. Well, if only Germany had had a team in the 1930s. Um, imagine- <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine the jokes that you can come out with at that. Yeah. No, um, to your point, Corridor I, I do think it's... Um, Sad. No, I do. I do think people should uh, buy your book, especially if they haven't, because why wouldn't you want to know more about it's, the greatest cricketer ever to play for England? It's still uh, the Alistair Cook story um, available on you know all good pl- online Amazing. <laughs> retailers, all and good. he's still playing for Essex. There was some talk that he'd fallen out with with um, Ronnie Irani and then stuff, and he might not might not carry on. But I think he, I think he will. I I can't imagine. Alistair Cook falling out with anyone, but I can imagine Ronnie Irani winding someone up. Mm. Yeah, you know. he doesn't. He doesn't like them going for a drink, basically, in the, in the middle of game. Who Ali, uh, Cook doesn't? No, Irani doesn't. And, and but Cook is is sta- standing up for the for the younger players who like to go to the pub or something. Right. So, yeah. What what a lad? Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. Lad. I I can just imagine. I've always thought that being like a you know, a, a medium medium level of success as a county cricketer. You know, your Simon Harmer, being be, be English Simon Harmer would be the greatest way to make a living of oh. all the jobs. Agree. Just, just playing Red Bull cricket four days a week, five months a year, maybe okay. go to New Zealand and knock a ball around in the winter. Um, spend half your working life Sat in a room with your mates, dicking about the other half playing cricket, and then you're in the pub in the evenings. Brilliant! What a life! Top draw, top draw. You know, there have been some. Some one thing I will say before we before we uh, we retire, Doug, is about retirements. And uh, a friend of mine who I may have mentioned on the pod once or twice, uh, Peter Trigo, announced his retirement at the end of last week. Um, so he, yeah, last Fridays he retired from after a couple of years with knots at the end of his career. Um, I think Ricky Clark has also um, retired, maybe just from red ball cricket. I think he might still be playing some white ball stuff. And uh, Ryan Tenderscarter has also yeah. hung up his uh, his jersey for Essex. And apparently Essex are retiring the number 27 jersey. Which I mean. is, I mean, we, exactly. What a load, what a crock of shit. When you've, you know, when you've only had numbers on on the back of your whites for the last, you know, however long, um, a bit longer oh, for the. It's thirty years now. Oh, maybe well, when they first did coloured clothing, I think it was ninety two, but they may not have done numbers until a bit. No, later. and yeah. you know, for Essex, look at the In likes of Gooch of... And, and obviously yeah. Cook's still playing, but you know, Graham Gooch who won't have a, a shirt retired yet. Ryan Tenderscarter. In does. terms of. In terms of absolutely useless sporting implements, 
numbers on cricket shirts are right up there, aren't they? Yeah. With like, yeah. Uh, what what else? I mean, you you think it would be the fingerless gloves that rugby players used to oh, wear? Oh, yeah. That you think <laughs> it, if it would they would, they would do it for marketing to sell said shirts in the club shop. But how many people are buying a tender scarter twenty seven? I mean, you if you you're not going to pay for that by the letter either, are you? <laughs> he, he hit one of the biggest sixes I've ever seen, Ron Tender Scarter. That went over. You know those blocks of flats and on one side of the ground in Essex. It went oh, over yeah. over that. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it went. Um, it's funny because the, the the best six I ever saw was at Chelmsford as well, and it was Lance Klusner in the World Cup in England that oh. year, and he hit a square cut for six that never went above the height of the ad boards. <laughs> it's absolutely an <laughs> unreal shot, and it, it left a hole just, in the middle of the, of the. Yeah, it did. It, it was an un, and the sound it made when it hit them was terrifying. Like anyone with PTSD would have been under the table. He's an absolute, he was an absolute geezer as well, Lance Clouse, wasn't he? <laughs> Literally certified geezer. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bowl it as fast as I can at your toes and at your nose, and I'm gonna come out to bat and I'm gonna swing as hard as humanly possible at every single delivery with a bat that weighs as much as a <laughs> as a Ford Orion estate. Around <laughs> his little finger, you know, he could extraordinarily strong man, wasn't it? Yeah, just what a player. What a player. Right. Um, do you want to do some any other business, Russ? You're on mute, fella. I don't, Doug, as it goes, because there's four minutes left of this uh, session of recording on Zoom. Um, so therefore, okay. I do not. And we don't, want to, we don't want to go over it again. You haven't got uh, any other business, Oliver, before we go. Anything you want to moan about, you've got three uh, minutes. No, uh, but I've enjoyed that little impromptu chat about cricket. It's kind of filled up an evening. I would otherwise have wasted watching some terrible series. <laughs> well, um, you're welcome anytime. We do this roughly once a quarter, don't we? Yeah, just about. <laughs> we'll probably, a, a we'll probably get together. Time would be handy. Yeah. Say again? Yeah, I'll give you some more notice. But we, we will do it again and we'll come back and Adam will be here next time. I don't know why he can't make it tonight. He's going to school and need to get well we you know if we've got some ashes to talk about maybe we'll we'll be back in december at some point yeah should we, should right. we do well, a live watch through the first five overs of the first ashes i mean first? i would i would love i'd be all to, over that to, to do you know what i'd love to do i'd love to sit and watch a day's cricket and live stream it like you know like do a facebook live or a but like yeah. watch yeah. it and do you know like they did um Test match sofa. Do you remember test match oh, sofa? Yeah, I was on test match sofa a couple of times yeah. back in the days. That was Dan, Dan Norcross, was, yeah. yeah and before he was a media loving, yeah. Yeah, but um, that I'd love to do that and just to sit around and, and chat. Well, we keep we keep talking about doing it. Let's do it. First test of the of the ashes. We'll I'll stay it. up. I'll stay up all night and watch it. At least if we stay up all night, that no one's going to be watching it during the day and laughing at us. So yeah, we'll go. do it during the night. Done. All Done. right, it's we'll a date. Cool. All right. Good Let's to chat go. to you again, Ollie. Uh, we'll we'll, um, we'll catch up uh, again sometime to chat cricket. I'm I'm sure of it. Look forward to it. Take are you, care. Are you nice to meet you. Go, is anyone planning on going to the final of the Bob Willis Trophy? When's uh, that? November. No, it's uh, next week. Uh, I'm, I'm doing all. It's a five. It's five days as well. 
well, it's not making it five days. If you're watching this week's Chicago Championship, you have not got five days work. So you're getting paid for five and you're working for three. Is it starting on, the, on a Monday or something? So there's already been yes, a week. Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. You know, to... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, and I'm I'm going to be at the women's ODI tomorrow as well. So if uh, you want to tune in and watch two teams struggle to 170, be my guest. Rubbish shit to my hands and clap. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers, all. Go well. Nice one. Uh, you finished recording. <laughs>